All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. What was that rocket? What rocket? I was just in my office and I heard a rocket. Describe the rocket, sir. Does this mean we're not friends anymore? everybody DJ Nubis with you the hordes of chaos episode 157 on the metal town radio podcast doing another great episode of bringing you the best in new and old heavy metal and rock music and uh, got a lot of good topics to get to today all reviews for shows and movies I'll be reviewing the finales for the Peacemaker uh, series, as well as Boba Fett. And then I've got a couple of movie reviews. Uh, one's for an older film called uh, Cherry Falls, uh, starring Brittany Murphy. And then also I went to see the new Jackass Forever movie, so I'll be reviewing that for you as well. Uh, as far as music coming your way, got a lot of new stuff for you. Um, Last of Lucy, Abrasive, The Neologist, Immolation, Corpse Grinder, Brand New Creator, and Annihilator, as well as Schizophrenia. If you heard me talk about their recent release, it's already one of my favorites of the year. Uh, new Night Rage, Everest, uh, as well as Beyond the Sticks, Pure Wrath, Nocturnal Mortem, Watane, Foscore, Star One, and White Tower. In the Rock Block, got a little bit of classic material from No Quarter and Targa. But a lot of new stuff from some of the labels and promotional sites that send me stuff all the time. So, jam-packed, as usual. And I've already got, like, stuff that I have to go through for next week to try to... I mean, it's like 50 fucking albums I have to figure out. There's, There's always the... The bands that I recognize, I'm like, okay, I know I'm going to listen to this, I know I'm going to listen to this. So I kind of set those aside, and then I got to go through these other ones and sort of like listen preview to see if I'm even interested in what they're doing, if I feel like it'd be good for the show. Uh, if not, then some stuff gets put on the background of like two separate folders. So one's going to be stuff that I'm definitely going to listen to to add to the show for next time. And then the other folder is just like 
if I ever want to run low in terms of like stuff that I want to use for a particular podcast that I can go through and say, okay, let's go to this other folder and kind of dredge up some of these ones I kind of just put on the back burner and see if uh, we'll put those in there. But uh, right now there's just so much out there, it's hard to even go back to any of the stuff in the back burner. I haven't even gotten to uh, more of the stuff from the labels and promotional sites, which I'll be doing after I record this because i got to kind of preview those figure out which ones we're going to go into the next podcast and then finally go and start listening to the new material, other new material that I have that will be put into the list as well. So a lot of great stuff coming your way this year. Um, as far as best of like 2022, I have maybe like four records right now. We're what almost in March. Uh, that's kind of good and bad only because normally I'm off to hot starts and usually it slows down about you know midsummer or whatever and then it picks up a little bit towards the end of the year uh, but I mean four records is pretty good I mean at some point probably around April or May I'll post like my mid-year favorites you know once I've had a chance to kind of like re-listen to them a little bit make sure they are going to be there uh, right now, Schizophrenia is definitely going to be there. Just, I really like that record a lot. So, uh, you'll be getting a taste of that in this uh, this great episode of the Hordes of Chaos. Opened up there with a band called Shatter, and their re- recent release was brand new. It's all covers. I found like a good handful of covers I can use down the road. Uh, but they're covering like there was D side, D side with that one. Uh, but they've got a lot of other great covers of metal bands and stuff in there as well. Wow, dry mouth. Uh, I'll probably be posting a quick video clip of my terrariums with the spiders. I finally got Freya's other uh, closure in. So Freya, and we, of course, if you don't know, I got another spider, Cruella, who's a, a white striped need spider, and uh, Neko named her. Of course, she's out, but I just figured, well, I got a new one, so I'm going to let her name her because I named pretty much the other two. Although I think she did name Patches because that's what she wanted, but that's okay. She's she's feeling part of it. Uh, but the enclosures are really nice. Um, I'm still debating whether or not I want to get any more plants. Like, like Freya's looks pretty good the way it is, and it has, you know, it's bioactive, so you've got the little isopods and springtails in there doing their job, but usually plants are more just like decorative looks um but it's it's really like a pain in the ass to try to keep them alive most of the time because you're either watering too much or not enough not enough light too much light it's really a fucking pain in the ass to deal with uh but a couple of the plants that i have in cruella's and uh patches's enclosures seem to be doing okay the one i had in there was another plant that I had in Cruella's when Freya was in there that just was doing terrible as the pothos and it just had a hard, hard time uh, keeping it upright or keeping it healthy. So I just yanked it out. I was like, okay, this is pointless. Uh, but the other ones seem to be doing okay. Not, not super bad. Um, anywho, let's uh, get into our music here, our first block. Got some brand new stuff from the Neologist, Abrasive in here. Uh, but we're going to cut off with a band called The Last of Lucy, and this is called Ritual of Abraxas. Talk to you soon.
is Roger from No Moss. And also Ben from No Hey, Henry over here from No Moss. You're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. Come get it. Get lit. Yeah, and John too. <laughs> pretend that Neko's with me here. <laughs> so used to having her by me. I miss her a little bit here. So, uh, yeah. So let's get into this. Um, for those that haven't been watching on HBO Max, the Peacemaker series, which is uh, directed and produced by James Gunn, who also does a lot of other films like uh, The Suicide Squad, which came out uh, earlier last year. Uh, he's done the Guardians of the Galaxy series, which he's working on Volume 3 right now. But in the Suicide Squad, which was far superior to the first attempt in 2016, uh, we were introduced to the John Cena character, Peacemaker. And uh, there's going to be a lot of spoilers throughout this because at this point, you know, I mean, some like Jackass, you guys, if you haven't seen any other Jackass films, then you're missing out. But, uh,. You know, obviously, there's only no way to really dance around the finales because, in order to kind of, I mean, they've been out for a little while. It's a couple weeks now, so if you're not watching, it's your fault. However, uh, in the Suicide Squad, uh, Peacemaker is very funny. He's got some great lines. He's, uh, if you've seen the trailers, he talks about dildos on the fucking beach and whatnot. So he, he's not he's not, he's a very colorful character, very patriotic. Uh, he's like he's like Captain America, only a dick. <laughs> Basically, what it comes down to, he's not a PC. He's very crass, uh, but funny. And uh, Cena does a wonderful job of portraying his character. And so they made. I was surprised they made a series based on that character, just because you weren't expecting him to be like a main focus. Now in the movie, The Suicide Squad. He uh, ends up shooting uh, one of his teammates. I won't give it away who, but it's a very dark moment in the movie. And, uh, of course, towards the end, we have Peacemaker uh, facing off against, uh, I think it's Deadshot? No? I forget Edris Elba's, uh, Elba's character. Was sort of like Deadshot, but uh, he's very good with guns. So they they were at a face off, and uh, we think that Peacemaker has actually been killed. But at the end, in the post scene credits, we see that Peacemaker actually survived the shots. It, it kind of like grazed his head or something. But uh, so the series itself picks up kind of like after he's in the hospital, recovers, and he leaves. Uh, but he's offered a chance to sort of redeem himself like it's either that or go to jail for his treachery you know um so he's been offered a chance to redeem himself to work with this private uh collection of people to stop what they call the butterflies and the butterflies are basically these praying mantis looking aliens that come to earth and the way that they have come to earth they like they jump in your mouth they take over your brain they like live inside of human beings unfortunately once they do that the human beings cease to exist so you actually die as a human being but you're still walking around and 
acting like you normally would as a human because they're able to function with you know with you in there with the creature in your head uh, and that's how they get around that's how they survive and then they they eat this like goo shit that they uh they gives them sustenance from this thing called the cow it's a big ass fucking thing with multiple eyes and it it's sort of like they milk it for this like gooey shit that they lick up and lap up it's very uh, odd looking but aliens so there you go uh, so we, we find out early in the series that the aliens have actually two factions. There's some that are trying to prevent what the other faction is doing. So one faction wants to take over the world. I'll get to the reasons behind that. But the other faction kind of like wants to stop them. There's like a smaller group of aliens, which we find out one of them is in the group of this peacemaker group of people. Uh, that we find out there's one actually involved in this, and uh, the one of the chicks that teammates that peace peacemakers really into is uh, Amelia Harcourt, who's played by Jennifer Holland, uh, sexy as hell, blonde, uh, very easy on the eyes, badass fighter. But uh, you know, there's like this trust factor going on, and we also learn some of the backstory with Peacemaker throughout this series because he grew up with a dad who plays this other uh, character, which I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but his suit was fucking awesome. It was like a devil. But his dad was a, a white supremacist and a big, you know, uh, racist asshole. So this is sort of how Peacemaker grew up in that kind of home and that environment. So the way that he kind of looked at the world was pretty negative. Now, when you watch The Suicide Squad, Peacemaker's really not behaving in the way his dad would necessarily like peacemaker's a dick but you know without what being black it was no like you know he wasn't like saying you call him the n-word or anything they just were always at odds in terms of competing for killing and stuff like that until the very end of course when elba has to shoot him uh but we find that peacemaker is not only just battling the demons of his childhood with his dad uh and stuff like that but he's battling the issue of what he did in Suicide Squad by killing off one of his teammates there and uh, you know he, he feels a lot of regret for that like there, were, there was something that was very personal about the way his teammate died in the end of that Suicide Squad movie that stuck with Peacemaker because Peacemaker always saw himself as a patriotic guy and a stand up guy for right and wrong and that was a like I said a key sequence uh, for Peacemaker's character because uh, he felt that he was doing the right thing. And so, in this series, he's been tasked with trying to stop this invasion of these aliens. And uh, as we get to the finale, uh, we've already dealt with Dad. Like, he's gone. Because uh, they already had to fight him and everything. But then, uh, the aliens have managed to infiltrate the police force and a lot of higher-ups. So, we find out that these aliens that were supposedly on the bad side, which they still could be depending on how you view it, uh, they want to take over the world because they're trying to save humanity from killing itself. Uh, the aliens came to our planet because they had destroyed their own by making mistakes, so they wanted to come to Earth and saw that humans were doing the same thing. So they wanted to infiltrate and take over our bodies to try to prevent us from be making the same mistakes they did. 
So at one point, the leader of the group of the alien group is trying to convey to Peacemaker that he should help them do this because it's better for humanity if we don't destroy ourselves. So here's where the spoilers come in. Uh, when this happens, Peacemaker decides instead to just kill the alien. And the way they do this, it's not even necessarily killing the alien per se unless you shoot them directly in the head where the aliens re reside in the brain. But uh, if you kill, like he does with this particular individual, uh, the alien can pop out and survive on its own, but it still has to have that gooey shit in order to survive long term. But they fly around once they get out of the brain and whatnot. So either they find another host or in some cases, like the end of the series, there's a, a moment where Peacemaker's sitting on his porch and he puts a little bit of goo on the, on the porch there and the little mantis comes and laps it up. It, it, they're very intelligent. They can try to, they can't talk as mantises, but they can communicate by sign language and stuff like that you know as far as like drawing pictures which is we find out throughout the series they can do so on some level the the mantises uh are it, it really no like good or bad like they do have good intentions it's just that at that moment peacemaker is making the decision that well if humanity is going to destroy itself then we, we might as well just deal it with our own terms with our own choices and the mantises and aliens by what they're doing they're not giving humanity a choice at all they're just taking over bodies which like as i said once they enter a body that body no longer is functional even if they leave it it's done like it's there's nothing they can do to save that person so peacemaker have haven't been even at odds with his teammates you know throughout the series also has befriended him like it's become friend he's he as a character he's changed over a course of time here so we see his evolution as a, a person from a guy that wrote you know grew up in a horrible household and upbringing and even to a point where he's responsible for his own brother's death uh, as kids um so he just had about a lot of personal demons to get to where he is now where he's still troubled but you know, he, he wants his friends to be okay. He doesn't want his friends to become zombies, basically, uh, with no no freedom of choice. And that's something that he had to weigh when not working with the aliens to try to save humanity, so to speak. So he says, well, and it has, his thought process is, if we're going to fuck ourselves, we're going to do it on our own terms. We're not going to have, you know, people being taken over and then maybe not still not save the planet. So it was a choice he made. Now, in the process, there's a point here. Again, spoilers. Uh, Harcourt, the chick that's part of the team that he really likes, you know, she's shot up pretty bad. Because uh, they're 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 attacking the compound where all these aliens are in the last episode and trying to get to the cow to kill off their food source, which they managed to do. But in the process, there's a lot of uh, people who are, you know, infected with the aliens that are trying to kill them. They're shooting, they're, you know... So some of the people they're working with are being hurt, killed, and Harcourt gets, you know, shot up pretty good. So he's picking her up, and they're walking away after they've done their business with this, this group uh, and stopped the invasion, so to speak, because they did kill the cow. Uh, so they're walking away, and there's this just funny moment because as they're coming across the, the, the grass and everything, 
uh, walking away from the compound, <laughs> we see the uh, four of the uh, Justice League that show up. So you have Wonder Woman, Superman, uh, Flash, and Aquaman. Uh, now, it's kind of dark and shaded, so we, we know that Superman and Wonder Woman are probably not the original characters. Like, the actors are not portraying them because we don't see their faces at all. We just see their silhouettes. Uh, but we do see Jason Momoa and uh, Ezra Miller, who plays the Flash in the DC stuff. Uh, we do see their faces, and they do talk. And now, as Peacemaker's carrying Hardcore out, he's like, Oh, yeah, you're late, assholes. We've already stopped the invasion, thanks. <laughs> you know, because they just now showed up when everything's done. Uh, and so uh, there is a joke in there. Just, I'll leave that as a, a, you know, something for you to discover if you watch the show. But there's a uh, running joke with Aquaman and fishes. So just remember that. If you've seen any of the films, you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, and then, of course... Aquaman and Flash have some conversations with each other before it's done. And uh, the biggest thing out of this whole thing with the series and everything is John Cena. And you know, I am a, a fan of Rock Johnson, Dwayne Rock Johnson, as far as a wrestler and uh, actor. But I, I, but I don't think that Rock has as much range. I mean, he, he I mean, I guess he does in some ways because if you ever saw. Uh, the game plan, which we reviewed, Neko and I did. Uh, Dwayne is actually very good now with, like, you know, his emotions and whatnot. But he's always playing, you know, the, the bro and, you know, the tough guy thing. And he's very good at it, obviously. But uh, in this series, Cena, like, really shows his range uh, of emotions and sensitivity and what he can do, which is really cool because, you know... Prior to that, I mean, as a wrestler, he's pretty good. He knows how to do the wrestling thing. Uh, some of the action movies he's been in were low-budget, ho-hum stuff that, you know, again, expected. Uh, so when it came to this and, and the Suicide Squad, what, what he was able to do with that character, uh, he's he, it's really, really great, especially in this series. Like, it really showcases his range as an actor, and uh, I was really impressed by that, like, you know, it's very. I think about some of the past stars. So you talk like Mark Wahlberg, okay, who started out as Marky Mark, you know, as a rapper, hip hop guy in the early '90s, I think. And as he's progressed over the years as an actor, he's gotten really fucking good, I think. And you know, I know Neko is generally hot or cold with him, but you know, he, he does end up in movies she likes, like Rockstar or The Departed. And he, he has pretty good range, Mark does. And so he, I think he's a really good actor. So it just shows you some of these other actors and actresses who, who start off in one type of field, whether it be music or, or like wrestling or something, and they end up coming and doing acting full-time. Uh, some of them work out very well because they have a knack for it. And so this might be a case where... Cena, kind of like Johnson, will be able to make a career out of acting. Because um, really, once wrestling is done, that's kind of... The you know, same thing about Dave Batista. Very good. Now, right now, Dave is still kind of doing the tough guy thing. But, you know, we we all we all know we kind of need more action uh, heroes these days. In fact, I watched a movie the other day, and I, I don't have it as a review, but it started out very much like 
Arnold Schwarzenegger's uh, Commando. Like, it had that kind of vibe. And I'm thinking, oh, this is great because we really don't have this type of action hero in this day and age. Uh, where, like, the action, like, you know, Rambo or, you know, Schwarzenegger's character is going in and, like, fucking up people left and right, you know, with ease. Because uh, nowadays, so a lot of our action heroes are, you know, they're portrayed as not as good or as strong as the ones we grew up with. So I'm watching this film, and uh, I was disappointed because this dude was literally getting his ass kicked, like, like he got his ass kicked worse by one of the, the uh, the side dudes, of the group he was fighting, and then wasted the lead dude like within minutes. Like it's, it was really kind of funny. I'm like, how's that even fucking possible? If this lead dude is supposed to be the biggest badass. Why is he beat him easier than this other dude? And uh, I don't know. It just it really it really left me with a downer. Like it started out very well, and I thought this is good. We're gonna have someone who's pretty much unstoppable and some people are going to rock people are going to fuck with them so you know kick their ass and be done with them but it didn't turn out that way uh, but and, and it's really right now like you know at least you know rock johnson is probably closer to that batista maybe uh so that yeah it's kind of like a discussion for another day for that but anyway this series in general is very good scene is really good in this highly recommended uh, if you're into DC Comics at all. Uh, I actually do not know much about this character. I know he's been around in DC Comics forever, but I just don't know enough about him to really say how much, how close it is to the, the material in the comics or stuff like that. So when it comes to a lot of these Marvel and DC stuff, it's really just a matter of what I'm seeing on screen. That's my real, real interaction with this type of stuff. Uh, Neko has some idea of some of these characters. I know she doesn't know much about Peacemaker either, but uh, other characters, she's like, yeah, you know, this isn't really the way this is supposed to be, but, you know, it's okay. Uh, yeah. So check it out. I really enjoyed it. Um, a lot of different things happening in it, and uh, we'll see. I, I know that Gunn has said he's been cleared for season two for Peacemaker, so we'll see how that goes. Anywho, we'll get back into our music. And this one we've got Mesentery uh, from Dr. Music Records provided there. New Quartz Grinder. I know Kevin Tarrant just was talking about this this morning. And brand new stuff from Immolation kicking it off. This is Broken Prey.
right, let's get into Jackass Forever. In case you are not aware, Jackass initially started in 2000 on MTV, and it was about a group of guys who would go around doing pranks and stunts, and many of them, like, were kind of dangerous. I mean, they, we're talking, like, jumping off uh, rooftops, uh, doing with alligators, you know. Uh, I know one scene they were running down a hill, and they had, like, rakes and stuff, like, you know, laying on the ground as they're running down, and if you stepped on the end of it, of course, the pull at the panel part would fly up and hit you in the head and shit. Uh, it was always stupid shit that they would do, and uh, it got really popular with the audiences at the time, and went for three seasons, and then they started doing movies, and so they did like three movies from like 2002 on up to 2011, and uh, yeah, had guys like Johnny Knoxville, Bam Magura, uh, who were the other ones? Uh, a wee man who's like a little midget dude. Uh, you just had a bunch of guys, uh, all size and shapes, doing this stuff. And so, obviously now here in 2022, you know, we're it's, it's another 10 years. So we're talking 20 years since their inception. And uh, obviously they're older. Uh, there's a few, there's a couple of guys who are no longer with us. Don, who died in 2011, uh, I think it was a motorcycle accident. Uh, he was killed, and then Bamagura, initially, who was supposed to be involved with Jackass Forever, uh, apparently started to shoot film with them. But then, when COVID hit in 19, they had to shut down for a while, and apparently. Margera also has like a substance abuse problem. Uh, so he tested positive for Adderall. Now, I don't know, the the thing about, I don't know much about what happened or why, but Margera brought a lawsuit against the guys uh, saying he was fired uh, unnecessarily, alleging that they, he was forced to sign these papers, which probably will not hold up because it's up to Margera to make sure that he's like he said he didn't have enough time to pass it through a lawyer uh before signing it but the reality is you, you make the time dude you just do uh you don't sign anything uh unless you know exactly what it is you're signing up for so apparently he, he failed a drug test they they fired him uh and they, he didn't appear in this film they say he's involved in one stunt but i didn't really remember seeing him he is listed in the credits uh, but I didn't really remember seeing them. But the thing about Jackass Forever, uh, unlike the past films and series, is that they they started to lay off a little bit of the grosser aspects. So like, you know, we're talking like a lot of vomit scenes or shitting their pants, and you know, seeing that, and just are you know, there's still a couple of things like uh, I think it was Chris Pontius. Uh, was still drinking like they he attempted to drink like pig semen or something it was like ugh. ugh. now but like at one point then in one of the other movies they drank like horse semen they were puking up but uh yeah these guys like it's really kind of funny this film though is a little bit more laid back in that regard they still do some crazy ass shit stunt wise i'm gonna kind of go through a few of them uh just to let you know what they were doing 
uh, one of the scenes that was really memorable was Steve-O, who often, like, doesn't mind, like, doing really crazy shit. He's just a crazy dude. Uh, I remember one of the most unique and... Uh, <laughs> I can't believe he did it, but... So he, he put a fish hook through his, his lip, right? They're on a boat in the ocean. And they've managed to lure, like, uh, I would say it was probably about 8 to 10 foot mako shark. And I forget what they were calling this segment, but uh, it was like human fishing rod line or some shit. But Steve-O jumps out in the water. He's got this hook in his mouth. Like, you know, that, that shit's got to hurt by pulling on you a little bit. And uh, he's out there with his Mako. So the Mako's, like, swimming around him. And at one point, the Mako, like, swims underneath his foot, and he kicks it. <laughs> now, he didn't mean to kick because he's just kind of treading water, but he, he realized he touched it, and he's, like, freaking the fuck out. Uh, so they get back about no incident there. He wasn't bitten or anything. But, man, it just, it just shows you the, the nuts and craziness that these guys will go through. So in Jackass Forever... Steve was one of his 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 job stunts, or he calls it. He's they were they had this beehive, and so they they I guess what they do with the the beehive boxes that you know uh, keepers usually have, uh, they had the queen like in this little box, and so the rest of the bees of the hive will flock to where the queen is. So that's how you kind of keep them in the little box of uh, they make the honey and all that shit. So. They pull the box with the the queen out, and they tie it to, I kid you not, they tie it to Steve-O's dick, and then they start gradually, like, taking, like, you know, handfuls of bees, you know, they don't crush them or anything, but they, they pull them from the hive, and they put it near where his crotch is, because the bees will be drawn to where the queen is. So they all start congregating on Steve-O's junk. And it's literally looking like a huge hive on his dick. Like, it's heavy and, you know. And, and the thing is, like, during this, like, it, Steve-O's not really moving a lot, but it doesn't really prevent the bees from stinging the shit out of his dick. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of, like, flabbergasted that, like, he was able to do this for a period of time. Like, he was standing there letting this happen for a good five or so minutes. And... Finally, when they start to pull him off and get the queen off, uh, he's, like, <laughs> pulling up his sack, and it's, like, showing where, like, there's must have been, like, ten or so bee stings. Like, I'm just like, dude, that's nuts. Nuts. Um, you know, the guys in this film, obviously, for this particular film, uh, it's a little more heartwarming in the sense that they've been through so much together over the years doing these stunts and pranks and really putting their bodies through the through the, the grinder basically and uh, you know there's an incident where Knoxville who for a second time throughout his life uh, I think it's only like twice he's done this he goes again to the, basically play with a bull like a full grown bull with horns and shit uh the first time he did it, he was blindfolded, <laughs> and the bull like knocked him in the air, and he was kind of shaken up. This one, he was—he didn't have a blindfold, but he, he again got knocked in the air, and like literally broke his wrist and fractured some ribs in the process. Now he takes it like a tribute. He was knocked out again. The funny thing about Knoxville, 
Uh, he had like a, a stunt where he got punched out by a boxer. Uh, I think his name is Bean, uh, who knocked him out in like a convenience store or uh, you know just some random store. And he, I mean, you can hear him snoring because he was knocked the fuck out of the. <laughs> Same thing happened here with the bull. Like he got not cold, cold. Like you would think he had a concussion, uh, but at the time you thought, oh, he was just knocked out. But then we find out he broke his wrist and his ribs, and he was in the hospital for a little bit. Uh, but these guys, man, they just do so much shit. The, the beginning, of course, they always have this little story-like thing they're doing where they're all together, and they're in this case they're all kind of like playing soldiers in this makeshift uh, city. And uh, it's 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 kind of a cross between a real live set in the street plus uh, a miniature city set. And the reason why the miniature city set is because I think it's Pontius who is using his dick and balls as uh, they kind of like put some sort of some sort of get up on his junk to make it look like Godzilla. So it's it's he's traveling down the street on the mini city, but then they kind of like mix it in with the real city stuff and. <laughs> It's just, it's just cracked me up. Uh, one of the better pranks that are in this is uh, a moment where initially Knoxville tells everybody that the that they're going to come into a room to discuss what they're going to do next. But the reality is they've got three separate rooms, and they're going to put some of the other guys in them, like two apiece, and. Uh, then lock him in and, and shut the light. Now, the reason why it gets weird and uncomfortable for these guys is that one of the reasons was they were going to discuss a prank with a rattlesnake. Uh, there's a, obviously a rattlesnake keeper there who controls the rattlesnake in the bucket and everything. And So what they do is once they've locked him in there, they shut the lights off. And there's actually another side room where they have a bunch of pans hanging. <laughs> but... They get these guys with the lights off, and already some of them are freaking because they know that there's a snake in there. So then they start making the noise of the rattlesnake. You know, it's not even really in there, but they're just making the noise, so it makes them think that because they can't see shit. It's dark. So they're up on this little couch, and they're hiding, and they're screaming, like, get me the fuck out of here! And so finally, uh, one of the guys, they find the, that side door where it goes into another dark room. He's like, I, I found a door. Let's get out of here. And so he goes in there and immediately, boom, hits his head on a pan. <laughs> then the other guy who's a bigger dude, he's like, you know, he's in there and there's like this, he's walking in and on to his right there's like this long ass tail with a bunch of fucking mousetraps on it. Again, it's dark, he can't see, but then they're making that rattlesnake noise, so he starts panicking and climbs up on a table. All the meanwhile, he's getting snapped with all these mousetraps and finally the tail breaks from underneath him. Uh... Once they actually uh, turn the lights on and they tell him what, you know, it was just all, there was no snake and everything. One dude is so traumatized from it, from being in there, he, he refused to leave the room. Like, he was like, no, no, I'm not leaving. There's some other whore behind that. I'm going to make a new life in this room. This is where I'm staying. And it was like just one of the funniest fucking things. Uh... One thing about this 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 particular movie now is uh, we do have some familiar faces with it, but we also have a lot of new faces with it. And uh, one was a chick, and uh, she did a, a particular stunt, that's what you want to call it, uh, called Scorpion Botox. So basically, 
all they had her do was like kind of pucker her lips and they had an emperor scorpion not poisonous but stings hard nonetheless and it like jacked her a couple times in her chin and her lip and I'm just like no way dude can't do it and so that that's one of the stunts that she did uh, what was the other one there was a great one where oh, it's called a spider helmet and so uh, who was the other one uh, Edwin Edwin is the other one of the guys and then we have this guy Jasper Dolphin who's one of the newer part of the crew like I think Knoxville and company wanted to get some of these younger people who were fans of the show to kind of like be sort of like pass the torch to some of these people this might be what's happening uh so jasper is one of the newcomers he's a young black guy uh whose dad is called dark shark and i think his dad used to be in prison at one point but he's a really nice dude but uh he wants to be a part of this whole like experience with you know uh jackass so they have what's called the spider helmet <laughs> and what it looks like is it's like a, a glass globe on each side. It's like a glass helmet. And then the glass helmets are connected by a long uh, glass or plastic tube with one little opening in the middle. And so what they do is they <laughs> they drop the spider, which is tarantula, uh, in the middle of this long tube between both helmets that these guys are wearing. And so they're both trying to blow you know, blow air to the spider to keep it, to go make it go one way or the other. Like, no one wants it to be on their end. So Aaron is able to, like, get the spider to run to Dark Shark, and he's, like, not a fan of spiders at all. But he takes it like a chance. The spider's inside the helmet with him, and it's crawling around his neck and just kind of sitting there, and he's, he's not really moving. He's not doing anything to really agitate or anything, but he's there for a good couple minutes before they decide to remove the spider and take the helmet off. But then, like, Aaron, who I'm going to get to in a minute, he uh, he thinks he's won this, like, particular challenge. <laughs> and then Noxilla informs her that, well, yeah, we're going to go ahead and let the spider bite bite, bite Aaron anyway. And, and Aaron's, like, freaking out. Like, no, dude, I won. I shouldn't be getting bit. <laughs> And so they do, they would do, he's like, well, where do you want to bite? He's like, well, in my arm. He's like, no, we're going to do your, your nipple. And he's like, oh, shit, you know. So everyone removes his, like, fucking shirt and exposes his nipple, and they take this tarantula. And his fangs are fucking long, dude. Like, obviously not poisonous, but those fuckers are big. Like, I don't know what kind of tarantula it was, but, dude, it was nuts. And so they manage to squeeze it down on the fucking nipple, and he bites it. And like, yeah, I was like, ah, you know one of those things and it was just so goddamn hilarious uh we also see uh guest stars uh machine gun kelly if you don't know who he is he's a rapper and he's actually dating actress megan fox right now they have what they call the bicycle backhand and he's challenging with steve-o and they get on this makeshift uh bicycle that's like almost like an exercise bike and the, the object, what Knoxville explains is the object is the harder you pedal, the the more chance that these two large hands will smack you back into this pool of water. So, I think Machine Gun Kelly was, I think it was sort of Knoxville's way of like fucking with them because Machine Gun Kelly's a pretty fit dude and he's like flying on his bike and so is Steve-O. 
but Machine Gun Kelly's just flying, and and for whatever reason, his own hand that's on his end is is moving faster towards him than the one that's the Steve. He's saying it's supposed to be the other way around because he's trying to get Steve-O to get smacked with this thing. What ends up happening is Machine Gun Kelly gets whopped and he falls back into the water. And that's when Knoxville kind of reveals that, oh, no, no, you you were paddling so fast that you hit yourself. <laughs> so Steve, I think, was kind of in on a joke in some ways there. Uh, what else we have here? Um, kind of like a random, like a lot of body surfing stuff. Uh, of course, Knoxville got shot out of a cannon. Uh... The triple wedgie was kind of funny because you had these two really big dudes. Uh, Lacey is one of them, and then this other new big dude they got uh, who's part of the group. And then Wee Man. So they're all in their, like, tidy whities And they're in these, like, makeshift uh, bungee things. Like, it, it, what's going to happen is the two big dudes are on these platforms a little bit higher than Wee Man's on the ground. And so once these two big dudes jump down to the mattress... Uh, Wee Man's going to get lifted up. But the idea is is that it's going to, uh, once they jump, it's going to create wedgies for all three of them. And so, <laughs> Wee Man's a midget. So, once these big dudes jump down the mattress, they're they're dealing with their own wedgies, but Wee Man's up in the air, and he's, he's, his tiny wires are actually tearing through his ass. And he's, like, screaming, like, Get me down! Get me down now! God damn it, get me down! It's just fucking... It's all, like, you know, potty humor and stuff like that. But, dude, if you enjoy that kind of stuff, it, it's really great. Um, what do we got? So, we got in here. We're, okay, yeah. So, basically, uh, Eran, what I talked about with the spider. This dude, he goes through so much shit through all these films. Like, he's done some of the worst things or been... On the, the worst end of these these pranks and these stunts that these guys do, for, and he takes it like a champ, dude. Like, it's really amazing. In this movie, I kid you fucking not, it's really the the thing that stood out to me the most. This dude takes so many shots to the fucking nuts that I just I can't. I don't know how he survived. Like, in fact, there's one point where uh, one of the guys is on a fucking pogo stick and he's laying on the ground with his legs open. And the dude jumps on the pogo stick and jumps on his fucking balls. So much to the point that it actually makes him start to bleed on his nuts. And But that's really just like the part of the rest of it. There's, they have the Dum Dum game. Three of these guys, Wee Man, Aaron, and uh, Poopsies. Poopsies is a new guy. Are standing there in their underwear. And there's, on, the, on the ground there's like these small little hands that are controlled by Knoxville. If he pushes a button... The hands fly up and smack you in the nuts. But so what Knoxville's doing is asking them certain questions, and if they get it wrong, they get smacked in the nuts. A couple of times Knoxville accidentally hits the button, hits Wee Man or someone else or Poopsies, and by accident. But Aaron gets fucking nailed almost every time, like two or three times. And then later on, I told you about the pogo stick, but uh. At one point, they get this boxer for UFC to come in, and I forget his name. Big, big black dude, and he punches hard. He's like punching a, a beanbag, just showing Iran like how hard it's going to be because Iran knows it's coming. <laughs> and so, 
he runs Stan in there and is like, it's time for the stunt. And he's like terrified because this dude is huge and he punches very hard. And literally, this guy winds up and just boom, right in the fucking nuts. And there's so much so that he runs like almost crying. It's so hard. <laughs> uh, later on again, he ran more nuts to the shot. You have this uh, chick who's a, a very fast softball pitcher. She winds up and throws the softball and nails him right in the nuts. It's another moment. He also takes a shot from a fucking hockey puck from a hockey player who nails him in the fucking junk. He takes so much abuse on his junk that it's just so fucking terrifying to me. I don't know how he survived this. It's ridiculous. Oh, granted, he was wearing a cup in some of these. I, but I forget which one. I think it was the hockey one. Uh, he had actually this custom junk cup uh, that was sort of like aluminum. Made you know, kind of help out because you don't want to take something like a hockey puck to your nuts like without nothing. But he still felt it. That's how much fucking speed and power was behind that hockey puck. But they were showing the cup uh, later on in the film, and it was like, actually had a fucking dent in it from the fucking hockey puck. <laughs> Uh, as they said, they had Machine Gun Kelly in there as a, a guest. Um, they had uh, Eric Andre, uh, a comedian who was in there a few scenes. Uh, yeah, just a lot of great, great stuff. Uh, there's actually a moment where they call it Wee Man Sacrifice. And so couple of the guys dress up in these skeleton uh, costumes and they're at like a makeshift graveyard with fog and they're just telling like a story you know trying to trying to liven up the the stunt and so wee man's tied to this ground and they're putting these pieces of meat small pieces of meat in his underwear and around his nipples and so what they end up doing is they, they bring out like this huge ass vulture and it comes around and it starts you know, grabbing the meat because it's attracted to it, but it has its strong beak, so it's like kind of cutting into Wee Man's flesh a little bit. Nothing deep, but you know, just getting us some, some little cuts here and there. <laughs> Wee Man hates it because some of that meat's down by his nuts and shit like that. And it's just, ugh. The stunts, I'm telling you, like, again, you know, if you're, it's childish, you know, top to bottom, but this is what these guys were all about. It's what they've always been about. And, but there is a camaraderie between them all. They're all friends. They've been friends for a long time. Even with the fact that Margera couldn't do the film because of what happened with him. You know, Knoxville is very, uh, not so much emotional, but very uh, sensitive to the fact that he really wanted Bam to be there. Because Bam was there for, you know, the beginning and all the other stuff. But he was more concerned with Bam getting help rather than having Bam do this movie and then had some sort of problem where the drugs might have gotten him hurt or something but uh yeah you know i highly recommend it and actually what surprised me the most about this when i went to the theater to watch this um i, I was making a choice uh it was this or the cursed which you know if you saw me watch the trailer for the cursed on my youtube channel uh you know i do love werewolves but i think i just felt like i wanted more of a a comedy the other night rather than horror and then of course i'm looking at you know i don't always take rotten tomatoes seriously with their ratings because sometimes it just doesn't match what i'm doing especially with critics but 
for whatever reason, both the critics and the audience love this film. They love Jackass 4. And, or Jackass 5, however you want to put it. Uh, basically, critics were given like an 86%, which was like crazy for a movie like this. And then, of course, the audience is like at 92%. So, it's, it's really a good movie. Now, I'm, for me personally, I've seen a lot of the other stuff. So, they're not necessarily covering a lot of new ground. I mean, it's new, new types of stunts and pranks. But, some are similar to others that we've seen before. But I, I didn't really enjoy it. I did laugh a good part through this film. So did the people in the uh, movie theater with me. So, highly recommend going and seeing it. Um, I will go see The Curse. Maybe either wait for it to come to video. Or, um, if I get really bored, go to the theater and check it out. Um, right now, it's not getting the best reviews so much. I think critics are actually enjoying it more than the audience. Um, I just I get wary when stuff's rated low. But the see, I, the thing is, I've seen movies on Rotten Tomatoes that I've really liked that have low scores, so I can't always trust that. But like I said, I was in more of a comedic mood the other night rather than horror, so that's why I went with the comedy instead. But go check it out. It's it's fun. It's a really fun movie. And if you don't, if you're someone who's seen the other ones and you don't like the grosser aspects of it, a lot of that's been cut out. There is a few, you know, a couple of uh, questionable moments with like the grossness, but they really kind of laid off of that a lot uh, on this one, which is good because I think just at that point, it's just really unnecessary. It's really dumb, but uh, a lot of this other stuff was quite funny and just you know just shows you how much these guys were willing to put their bodies to abuse for our entertainment basically so who's all ready for some new creator this guy is also got some new annihilator and new schizophrenia in the next block so here's creator with hate uber allies
Hey, DJ Anubis here, and I want to say if you dig all things Godzilla and KG related, then check out the YouTube channel of the Sci-Fi Century. He has great reviews, opinions, and theories in the world of sci-fi horror, anime, and of course everyone's favorite atomic breathing lizard, Godzilla. Century provides great commentary when both having a special guest on his shows as well as the collaborations with the big teddy bear, that fat samurai guy. So if you want to keep it raw, real, tune into the Sci-Fi Century. That's S-C-I-F-I-S-E-N-T-R-Y. Sci-Fi Century. Tune in to get the best in science fiction and Godzilla-related information. Peace. Do you remember the first time you found out about blowjobs? Do you remember that day? It should be a different day than the first day you gave a blowjob. I hope those were vastly different days for you. Hope you had a lot of time to process that information. I know I needed it. I was, um, the day I found out about blowjobs, well, it was a pivotal day of my life. It was, um, I remember the date actually. It was September 11th, 2001, and I don't know what else happened. <laughs> that day. <laughs> Devastated. I couldn't understand it. At first I go, blow job, blow. Do you blow on it? Remember that? Remember for a couple seconds you go, do you blow it? Ugh. <laughs> you wish. You wish that's all you had to do to it. Oh, that'd be a cakewalk. <laughs> it's much more invasive than that. Um, blowing on it oh no i didn't i couldn't believe you have to like suck it you have to like french a dick <laughs> i thought i could maybe like mwah, like peck it but you gotta french it all I knew about penises at this point in my life were that they were these noodly things that hung between a guy's legs, they pee from them, and you shouldn't look at your cousin JD's when you guys are getting changed to go swimming. Like, that's all the information I had about penises. And now, one's gonna go in my mouth? Okay, I knew that sex was a thing, a penis would go in my vagina someday, but that was, it's my vagina. Like, I don't have taste buds down there, or whatever. Like, stick whatever you want down there. I can't taste it, okay? So I was like, who cares about my vagina? But my mouth, that's where candy goes. Like, I can't believe you would put a dick there. I was devastated. And you, like, you, you kind of go, maybe I don't have to do it. Maybe it's something that I, not every girl does. And then you realize it's kind of your destiny as a woman. Like, you're gonna do it. You know what I realized you have to do it is when I found out it was one of the bases. Because I, I knew home plate was sex and if I ever wanted to have sex because I wanted to, I don't know, make a family someday, I was going to have to... You can't skip a base. If you want kids, you're going to have to suck some dicks on the way to those kids. That's the last thing my kids want me doing. I, I, sex, sex made sense because it makes, it makes kids... What do blowjobs make, you know? And then you find out careers. And it's like, okay. I do want one of those. I would like to have one of those. I got one. <laughs>
you accept it. You're just like, okay, I'll do that someday. I not today, but it's gonna happen. I, 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 I accepted it the same way I kind of accept death. I feel like you know when you find out about dying, you're like, oh no, I don't want to die. And it's like, sorry, you have to. You were born, so someday you have to suck a dick and die. Like those are kind of <laughs> the touchstones of a woman's life. <laughs> You might get to vote and go to college somewhere in there, but then it's back to sucking dicks in grave time. <laughs> and then more information about blowjobs trickles in. Like, okay, if you do a good job at it, you're rewarded at the end <laughs> with a liquid substance. Hold on, before the liquid, you will, you'll know it's about to come because he's gonna turn into a demon for a couple seconds. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's a key part of this whole thing. He's gonna shapeshift. Um, <laughs> no one warned me about that. I'm here to, if someone hasn't had sex before, I'm here to tell you before he comes, about five seconds before he comes, he turns, every man turns into Vincent D'Onofrio's character in Men in Black, you know, the... That, that's... Every man is on his way to that. I don't know. It's like a... Like a roach crawling out of your eye. Just... Ah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Nikki Glazer. Giving us the 411 on sucking dick. Uh, I had to ask Neka like when her 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 first time was, and that if she felt the same way, <laughs> her destiny to suck dick. <laughs> uh, but Nikki Glaze is hilarious, man. If you if you have not checked her out on Netflix or Netflix specials, man, she is fucking hilarious. And I love a woman who's honest about shit. Like, she just breaks it all down, honestly, about sex and all that good stuff. <coughs> Very funny chick. Very good. <coughs> all right, we're going to jump into our rock block. And today's rock block, we got some Exo Pulse from Music Records. Superfecta doing some Led Zeppelin from Skyfire Promotions. Got some Atomic Stuff who sent me uh, The Loyal Cheaters. And I uh, got some classic material from No Quarter and Targa in there as well. And then we're going to kick it all off with District 13, provided by Curtain Calls Records. So this is District 13 with Forever This Way. Slip away 
a hand and all is lost in sudden bursts of dizziness and bright lights as she leads him to freedom. But upon awakening, he is alone and sad that the beautiful silver starbird is no longer with him.
Everybody, this is Mr. Joshua Gray, your live gameplay DJ, live weekday mornings, every day, but hump day, playing Mortal Kombat or other games occasionally and featuring a number of different artists. So come on by, grab your breakfast, and enjoy some fatalities. Mr. Joshua Gray on YouTube, Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays, 8 noon to the moon. And you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio.
This is Richie from Grave Huffer, and you're listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko on Metal Tavern Radio. Rank it the fuck up. Alright. Exopulse. Riot. Silent. Closing out our rock lot. Now, gonna get into a film that I uh, probably about 15 years ago, probably on TV. I caught it. Uh, I caught like maybe the last, I don't know, last five or ten minutes of it. And uh, it's a movie called Cherry Falls. It came out in 2000, 2000, I think. And so, caught the last five or ten minutes. So I kind of already knew what the end was like like I knew who the killer was I knew what happened basically or at least some idea because I hadn't gone back to it till recently uh, I think I remember when I first saw that ending that uh, I was a little surprised at the person that was actually the killer like I was like oh wow would not have seen that um based on the other films I've seen this person have. And, uh... But I never went back to watch the movie. Like, I just didn't think much of it. I was like, well, I already know what the is, so it doesn't really matter. Uh, but over the years, you know, people have come out, and it's become, like, kind of a, a cult favorite uh, with people now with uh, Cherry Falls. And people come back and they say, yeah, you know, it's a really good film. People need to really check it out. So finally, uh, I noticed that Shudder had it on their list now. And so I said, well, you know, 
I'll go ahead and take a gander and uh, watch it and see what I think of it. And the movie stars uh, Jay Moore, if you don't know who he is, he's like one of the guys that played opposite of Tom Cruise and Jerry Maguire. Uh, Michael Bean, we all know him from Terminator and uh, The Abyss and stuff like that. Very, very, very good actor. Uh, Gabriel Mann and the late Brittany Murphy, which you've probably seen. Nick and I talked a little bit about her and her death and the movie she was in with Clueless and all that stuff. Uh, very uh, underrated actress, actually. Uh, the more I learn about her, the more the stuff that I see her and the more I think that she was actually quite quite the unique talent. In fact, I'm going to go out on a limb here. No offense to Alicia Silverstone, but Murphy's like ten times the actress that she is. It's just, that's the reality of it for me. Uh, it's just unfortunate she's dead. <laughs> uh, died way too young. So the movie itself is basically a slasher film. And it kind of turns the plot, though, on its head. Instead of killing kids and teens who are having sex and, you know, you know, basically de-virginizing themselves... The killer actually goes and kills virgins. Like it's it's if you're a virgin, you're the one that's the target. So the comedic aspect of this is like as far as like the plot is concerned. Once the police force, led by sheriff who is uh, played by Michael Bean, once the cat is out of the bag in terms of what the the, the goal is of the killer, uh, all of a sudden the kids and the families are like, oh. So in order for our kids to be alive, they have to go and get laid. <laughs> so it's kind of like this conundrum because, you know, the sheriff lets out this information of what the motives are of the killer. And so families, parents, and, you know, kids are like, well, I don't want to die. So they're all like, so what's not happening, like, somewhere around the mid to late point of the movie is uh, the students at this school are, are organizing an, uh, a sex orgy. <laughs> in order for them to get de-virginized and that they don't get killed by this killer. Now the killer itself doesn't really care who it kills, it could be an adult or not. But it, uh, the motives go kind of long before that because there's this other mystery behind the film. Uh, in terms of why the killer's doing what it's doing. And uh, it all involves people of that town. Um, the, the town of course called Cherry Falls and it's really kind of cool it's towards the end uh, at the beginning we see like this waterfall like this small waterfall uh, with this river and then at the end of the film we see the same waterfall and river but then it turns blood red uh, which is really kind of a cool effect uh, whether or not that meant that there's more to that story afterwards. We don't know. There was never a sequel made. And I'm going to get into why this film is not as known as it should be. Because uh, there's a lot to that. Um, but as far as the story itself, uh, Brittany Murphy plays a student named Jody. Her dad actually happens to be Michael Dean's character, who's the sheriff. And uh, at first, you know, she's dating this guy who's you know, they're, they're first they're like hot, they're heavy petting in the car, you know, they're kissing and filling each other up, and then she stops the kid, the guy, you know, and he's kind of frustrated because, you know, he's a horny little guy and he wants to get laid. She's not ready, she's a virgin. 
Uh, so he's like decides at that moment that they need to see other people, and immediately he's picked up on this other girl at school, and it's kind of making her jealous and pissed off. And uh, and then her friend, who's really infatuated, this other dude in the classroom, you know, just constantly stares at him. You know, if that was, if we're gonna get into the woke and PC thing, like nowadays. If that was a dude staring at a chick like as blatantly as that chick did, they'd be crucifying that character. You know what I mean? But it's really creepy that this girl stares at this guy the way she does. It's really just nuts. Uh, but they do end up getting together later in the film and, you know, whatever. But uh, So we do have some kills early on, of course. You know, there's a couple of uh, kids who are kissing and, you know, feeling each other up in the car again. They're not having sex sex because the girl wants to, to remain, you know, a virgin or whatever, she, but she doesn't mind feeling fooling around. Well, it doesn't take long before the killer shows up and they both get killed uh, brutally. Apparently, a lot of the footage for this film was cut out, and even though Scream Factory has put out a Blu-ray for this, which I... I was kind of tempted to get at first when I read about it, but apparently the footage has been cut. It's still not in the film. Like, they can't find it. They know it's there at whatever Hollywood facility, but it's, like, packed away somewhere. And so far, Screen Factory hasn't gotten a hold of it. So eventually they feel like there will be an uncut version of this film, and the director has stated so, but... Uh, until that happens, I don't think I'm going to buy the DVD. Even though, it's, even though I highly recommend people see it, um, I'm sure the Blu-ray that's been put out by Screen Factory because they put out a lot of good shit is probably pretty good. I probably would get the D, the Blu-ray just because there is some commentary and that's some of the better things about Screen Factory and their bonus stuff. Because uh, there's a lot of information that the director gives about why this film struggled the way it did and all this other stuff, which I'll get into. Um... But apparently the, the cut scenes are, are pretty graphic, and so I think in some ways that's kind of needed if you want to be a collector of such things. Because there is a scene early in the film with the first kills that the girl is, uh, her particular death scene is pretty traumatizing and, and radical. So, uh, granted, we've seen crazy shit before, because this comes on the heels of all the uh, the late 90s slashers, so Scream, I Know What You Did Last Summer, except, uh, Urban Legend, etc. This is kind of following on the coattails of that stuff, And but the problem with Cherry Falls in 2000 was, at that point, uh, the Senate in the U.S. was cracking down on the sex and violence in movies. Like Again, we're going through that whole like PMRC type shit. Uh, they were really... <clears throat> they were really pushing back on these directors and these uh, movie studios for the content they were putting out there. So when Cherry Falls was being made and they were showing their cuts, you know, the Senate and them were like, no, you got to, you know, the MPA or whatever. They're all pushing back and saying, you got to you gotta cut this shit out and do this and that. And they tried to do the same thing with Craven with Scream, but, you know, Craven's like, look, this is a, a comedy. This Some of this stuff's got to be in there. Uh, but it didn't work in Cherry Falls' favor in that term because of uh, what was going on with the, around in the U.S. Because Columbine and everything else. So there was a lot of pushback on movies, stuff like Cherry Falls. So Cherry Falls ended up not even going to 
theaters except for in Europe, and ended up going to TV. So apparently, one of the running jokes is it's one of the most expensive films to ever be on TV. <laughs> That's probably why I ended up seeing it there first, which means that anything that was graphic in some sense was even cut from the TV version. So like, Shutter. I don't know if they have the if that what they were showing was the screen or the Screen Factory version or not, um, but I don't really recall it being that overly gross or obscene. There just there's some quick scenes that you see from the deaths that oh yeah that's pretty good you know but uh, you would get a lot more gore and stuff from Scream than you would from Cherry Falls really. <clears throat> the good thing about Cherry Falls, though, is that the plot and the story is very good. It's a strong story. It's written well. Uh, the acting is great, of course. Um, even the, I'm going to call it the hidden story behind it all, as far as, like, the plot and why shit's going on like it is, is very good. And even the ending, like, I'm kind of like, the ending didn't happen the way I really thought it would either because I'm like, wow, okay, so they're going to go with that, huh? And so... With that whole, like, ending and, you know, who it is and all this stuff, we, just, we, we it, it, you're going to get vibes of, I'll say, I don't want to give that away. I don't want to say that because it would be too much. Um, but I know it's an older movie and usually I don't care about spoilers, but I think for those, because this is becoming a cult classic of sorts, I want people to kind of experience it for themselves and have their own judgments on whether or not it's a movie worthy of the attention that it's starting to get. Uh, but let's get into why the movie itself, uh, like I'm adding on to like the whole Senate thing, like just so much of that, you know, the Senate being a big part of why it couldn't go uh, to the theaters and why it had to be cut so drastically. And then there's like other issues that the director apparently was rubbing you know, butting heads with the actors and the writers and the, the effects people and a lot of tension on sets um, to the point that some, like, he told one special effects guy, you know, there's too much blood, you gotta quit doing it. That, that guy apparently walked off set for a couple of days and then came back. Uh, I think I think the guy's name is Wright, who uh, directed this, and he basically in the commentary on the Screen Factor Blu-ray, he basically takes onus of the problems that happened on the set of that. Like, he admits that, you know, he was accountable for a lot of the shit that went on. It wasn't so much his fault about, uh, it wasn't about so much, what's the word I'm looking for, is, like, he didn't have any control about what the Senate was doing and all that, but just in terms of the on-set stuff and the bullshit that was happening and why they were behind schedule, that's on him. Like, there was just a lot of tension going on. But again, I think maybe some of his frustration was he's trying to do this movie, he's got a lot of ideas, he's got a lot of comedic parts, and he's got a lot of gore in it, but forces outside that are forcing him to, to chop up his movie in a way that he doesn't really like. And I can understand that as if you're an artist no matter if it's music or whatever or movies and you're sitting and you're trying to like do your art but then you have someone telling you you can't do this you need to cut this you can't have this because they're rating this and it's like 
why am I doing this movie anyway? You're not letting me do it my way. And so we've talked about before where directors really need the freedom to kind of do their thing. You know, whether or not a studio wants to put a lot of money behind it or, you know, put it in theaters. It's like, you know, if you're a studio and you're having a director do something. So if you, let's take Del Toro, for instance. The guy's a pretty good uh, filmmaker. He has a lot of great atmosphere and, and cinematography and all that. If I'm a studio and I'm, you know, he's doing a movie, <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to stranglehold him with his uh, artistic vision. It just doesn't make any sense. Uh, now, obviously, when you do stuff, you have to kind of edit it to a way where it's going to fit into a particular rating, one way or the other. But if I'm a studio, I'm talking with that director, I say, okay, what are we shooting for here? Are we shooting for... PG-13, are we shooting for PG, are we shooting for rated R, NC-17, what? What are we doing? Because that's really the basis of the communication. Now, some studios, if they're putting a lot of money behind something, they often want it to be uh, a rating that's going to draw in more than just a certain age group or, you know, whatever, because it, it, that's sort of the stuff that hurts, like, more of the comic book movies or... Uh, you know, stuff like Mortal Kombat and all that. Like, the first Mortal Kombat, that was purposely put as PG because they needed to bring the kids in who were playing these arcade games. But then as we see from Mortal Kombat 2021, we, we move it to the rated R because we now what was missing in the first film and the second film is now in this film. Story still wasn't that strong and there were some issues with it, but at least in terms of what was expected and you know now you have all the kids from that era who are adults now watching Mortal Kombat 2021 and we're like oh yeah that kill was awesome you know or this or that uh, and you know then we have films like Logan or Deadpool where they're finally like taking a little more serious matter Deadpool wasn't really that serious but just you know the gore and the, the, the language and everything else like we're not worried about it anymore we say to ourselves, if a kid wants to see this, they're just going to have to get their parent if they're not old enough to go in and watch this. And there technically was. When you go to see stuff like Deadpool, I think Neko and I went to see it in a theater, and uh, I think there was, like, parents with, you know, young teens or kids in there watching this. So that's the whole purpose of, you know, parental guidance. You know, it's like, it's their judgment call, you know, whether or not they want their kids to see this, and then if if they don't feel they're appropriate, then they don't do it. But it's also up to the parents to know what they're getting into. Like they, time and time again, we've seen parents take kids into theaters and like, I didn't realize that was that kind of movie. Like research the fucking thing. That's what Google's for. You know, do the homework. Um. So there was just a lot of shit that was beyond rights control when it came to doing the movie the way he wanted to. Uh. But overall, the story is really good. Um, in fact, I would... Aside from, like, the first... I know what you did last summer. Like, I, I know as sequels go on, they get kind of lamer and lamer. I know people have a lot of high... Re, high remarks for, like, some of the Scream sequels. But really, the, the first movie and the second one for Scream are really the best ones for me. I didn't see the last one yet. Uh, I've seen reviews and stuff, but I have not seen it. Uh, 
but three and four didn't really do a whole lot for me. It just kind of rehashed the same shit that we're doing over and over again. Uh, just finding different killers and whatnot. Uh, I know what you did last summer. Two and three, I think, sucked uh, compared to the first one. I just you, you run out of ideas. You know, you keep trying to capitalize on it. I thought the first Urban Legend was really good. Uh, you know, I, I think the guy in the article was kind of pointed to those as being the precursors to Cherry Falls was kind of underselling it, saying that Urban Legend and stuff like that were not very good, but I, I disagree there with that. Uh, that's not to say Cherry Falls isn't good. It is. Um, it has a lot of twists and turns in it as far as, like, guessing game and all that stuff. And then, you know, it's got its own humor. But, yeah, you can tell uh, just with some of the editing that, it, like, it's missing certain things that you would expect to be there. Uh, and even the comedic moments that were left in it aren't really, they don't really hit. So I think there are some problems with it. But for a movie that really went to TV, direct TV, and then, um, you know, kind of just got glossed over at the time of its release, like, deserves to be seen. Like, people need to check it out, and I think they'll find it enjoyable. In fact, compared to a lot of the stuff that we see today with horror movies, it's actually still better than a lot of them that we see today. It's just great acting top to down, you know. Murphy, Jay Moore, and Bean, you know, these are all of good uh, actors and actresses, so... Certainly worth checking out. Uh, I highly recommend it, so go for it. Should be good. Uh, let's see, in our next block of music, I've got Beyond the Sticks, provided by Quabar PR, Avarice, uh, provided by Hardlight Promotions, and Brand New Night Rage. And, you know, I was posing this question up on Facebook the other day. The Night Rage album, uh, the new one, they've been around for a little while. They're pretty good, okay? It's a melodic death metal band. And uh, they're pretty decent. They've got a lot of good material. But I'm listening to their new record, and I'm just kind of like going through, I'm like, yeah, okay, this is, this, they're good at what they do. But I found myself kind of losing interest after a couple songs because as I'm listening to them, I'm hearing nothing but like Old In Flames or uh, Arch Enemy. Like just the song structures, the riffing, uh, the way it's set up. I'm not trying to disparage the band any, but like, I, they're not doing. They're not bringing anything new to the table. And I was kind of just having a discussion with Crip from Metal Mania. We were talking a little bit about different metal, like death metal bands, and you know, unlike Inner Fire or uh, Ferrador, who do a little bit different riffing styles and arrangements and vocal styles and whatnot. Like, just kind of, we're at a point now with melodic death metal that's kind of like become stagnant, and there's not much originality in there. So. You know, Crypt, like, introduced another band to me that, you know, listening to it was, again, fine for what it is, but immediately I'm picking up on the influence of At The Gates. Uh, it's never a bad thing to be influenced by those bands because that's how every band is when they're trying to create their own uh, art. But at some point, you got to bring your own identity into it. So if you're influenced by at the gates fine but we need to like find a way to make it your own without sounding too much like at the gates <laughs> or in this case like night rage we need to find it where it's not too much like arch enemy or old in flames like you need to bring something new to the table uh that you know throw a wrench in the thing and kind of bring your own style into it while also still being influenced by a lot of that so this first track, uh, Shadows Embrace Me, this is Night Rage, and check it out and see what you think about it. 
Blake from Pig Destroyer, Hate Beak, and Zealot R.I.P. And you are listening to DJ Anubis and DJ Neko at Metal Tavern Radio. Get into it now. All right. Getting into our last review of the hit series Bubba Fett on Disney+. And, uh, Going to recap a little bit here first. Um, the Fett series, the Book of Boba Fett, is basically, as I said in another episode, we discovered that Bobo actually uh, survives the the pit on Tatooine after Return of the Jedi when he's dumped in there. And uh, now he's wanted to take over Jabba's uh, palace, and he wants to be the ruler of that part of it or part of the city there and he's had to fight tooth and nail to keep it because one he doesn't have like a real massive army and two the uh, Pike Syndicate which is a very big presence uh, in that area has been trying to squeeze him out and so much so that we thought initially uh, Jabba's uh, cousins the male and female that were the little ones that were there uh, initially we thought they were the ones trying to squeeze out Fett, but they really don't care about Jabba's palace, so we learn along the way they're going to let Boba have it, and, but he's going to have to deal with the syndicate himself. He's not going to get any help from the huts at, at this point. So Boba spends a good amount of his time trying to recruit bodyguards and, and uh, loyal people who will fight with him to keep his, his, his throne, basically. And he's already got very good allies in Fennec, who was an assassin he saved in the Mandalorian, but he also has uh, a great relationship with uh, Den Dejarin, who plays the Mandalorian. So uh, the Mandalorian actually owes him a lot from that series because of how Bubba's fed with help with him and that. So there is this tight bond between Den Dejarin and Boba Fett. Um, 
in the finale, we, we, well, before we get to that, we, we noted also uh, from the episode before that uh, Fett asked for Denjar Darren's help. So obviously Denjar Darren's like, yeah, I'll help Bubba, but I got to go take care of something. So he, he flies out with a gift for Grogu, who is the little Yoda, baby Yoda, uh, in order to give him his gift. But he can't see him because... Obviously, uh, Skywalker is training him, and of course, um, I forget the the other uh, Jedi's name played by um, what is her fucking name? Fuck, I can't remember. Uh, but she's like, you know, if you go see Grogu, you know, it might c- cause confusion with him and be more problematic than helpful. So at that point, Din Djarin's like, okay, I'll just leave the gift for him, and I'm gonna go. And he does, but somehow Grogu knows it's him, and he's very sad. Uh, and then we saw at the end of that episode, Skywalker's like, look, uh, I'm here to train you, uh, but you need to make a choice because you, you're going to have to give up your friends and family to train, or you're going to go back to Din Djarin. So he leaves him a choice. So it's basically the gift, which is like a mithril uh, body armor, that uh, Denjadaran made for Grogu, or the lightsaber. So, so the, that episode leaves you on a, a cliffhanger. Where which one does Grogu choose? So then we get into the final episode, and uh, Fett thinks he has a great plan to defend because he knows the Pike Syndicate's going to come for him. So he's got all these little people that are helping him in certain parts of the city to keep watch and to kind of like basically find a way to corner any attackers and but what happens is the Pike Syndicate have managed to convince a good portion of the citizens of the city uh, to turn on Fett so then all of a sudden there's like you know conflict with uh, they can't do what they wanted to in terms of like trapping the syndicate so that now there's they're, they're kind of like fighting for their lives and you start to think oh man they're not going to make it through this uh, but we do know that Fennec and Denjo Darren are there to help them so they're all trying to get you know survive this and uh, there is a point though we find out that uh, Mok Shaz uh, is the leader of the Pike Syndicate and um, we find out that he's the one actually responsible for the Tuscan Raider uh, slaughter, uh, the Raiders that actually saved Fett and you know have him grown up with his. I want to say grown up, but just you know he befriended them as a family, so he was really pissed off and upset when they were slaughtered, thinking it was like this biker gang. Uh, so he killed the biker gang, thinking that he'd already sowed that revenge plot. Turns out Shaz is the one that's actually responsible for it now. Shiaz is like in cahoots with some of the other ones plus the mayor of that city that Fett uh, currently rules in uh, who's been kind of like pushing him back against Fett as well. So they're all in their little group there meeting and they think they're safe but then the guards at the front are killed and then all of a sudden someone comes through the back and kills all the other members and then finally kills Shiaz. Uh, it turns out to be Fennec because she is an assassin. Uh, there is some talk uh, with people who watch this that maybe it should have been Fett actually getting his revenge kill 
but clearly watching this episode you already know he's got his hands full with everything else so Fennec took care of that business of it and so we get back to where the fight is going on in the city uh, between Fett and the citizens and as well as the Pike Syndicate and they've got a couple of what they call uh, scorpion cyborgs or something just some sort of cyborg with shields like they're very uh, formidable uh, machines and so it's hard for any kind of laser beams to penetrate it, destroy it or whatever even uh, Mandalorian he tries to pull the dark saber out and actually try to cut into it but the dark saber has like an effect on him or people in general who wield it that's very tough to deal with and he actually we know at one point he cut himself with it so it's no joke <laughs> uh, as this chaos is going on with the fighting an X-Wing shows up so we're thinking oh shit you know, Skywalker back nope turns out Grogu he managed to fly the ship there uh, and the woman from who we saw in the Mandalorian who helped the Mandalorian build the ships and stuff like that uh, I forget her name as well because she's only like a character that passes through uh, but she uh, picks up Grogu and actually takes him to where Fett is not knowing that there's like this crazy battle going on um, but of course Din Djarin is the Mandalorian he's like well, Grogu what are you doing here he shouldn't be here you know, he's very protective of the little baby Yoda uh, clearly friends with it uh, loves it so then we spend there is a moment though where Grogu shows again his power of using the force by basically crushing one of those machines Scorpio machines and it's like damn but we do see another cool moment this, I knew this was coming if you watch this series at all uh, there's another moment where one of the Scorpio machines is getting the better of his his team and uh, all of a sudden here was roar right so it's all of a sudden you see this uh bathra come from over the top of one of the buildings and of course boba fett's riding it like this is his personal bathra and uh so he watches as uh the bathra like destroys one of the scorpion machines and you know it's crazy but the bathra also gets loose and starts getting you know needs to be calmed down which Grogu takes care of by calming it down uh, using the force again and then acutely as usual Boba the, excuse me the baby Yoda will go after the bathroom has been quiet down the bathroom falls asleep but Grogu comes and lays down next to him and falls asleep himself so it's kind of a cute moment for that uh, Cad Bane I didn't really know his name before but he's actually one of the cooler characters uh, in the series, but you don't see a lot of them. In fact, I was hoping that when Timothy Elfian, who played the sheriff in one of the episodes prior to this, um, who was like a good guns gunslinger, basically, Bane is like this other gunslinger dude, uh, alien dude that has these big, I call them red eyes. It's almost like I'm trying to like play out the bright eyes from, uh, you know, the good, bad, and ugly. So, uh, you know, so like he comes in and Bane's like this. He's almost like a mercenary uh, gunslinger who's hired to just you know do duty. So he killed Alphonse's character earlier in this in a series, and that was a bummer. But 
there's this this uh, confrontation now between Bane and Boba Fett, and it's a good showdown and everything that's going on, which is fine, fucking crazy shit. I uh, just kind of wish that Bane had been a bit of a reoccurring character because he does get killed. Sorry, spoiler with that. <clears throat> but ultimately, uh, Fett's forces are successful, and uh, you know they they save their city and then finally the citizens who had once turned on more now like in you know they support Bubble Fett being their leader uh let me see what else is anyone here yeah so you don't really see Skywalker or even uh, Ahsoka Tano who plays the other Jedi I was talking about uh you don't see them in the final episode which is kind of good because one thing that this article points out is that there is some good and bad about the Boba Fett series compared to the Mandalorian. Like, really, the Mandalorian kind of spiced up the series because it was, it was kind of lacking. And so each episode is kind of hit or miss. But it gets stronger as, as we get closer to the end. So really, the moment the Mandalorian makes an appearance is when the series actually picks up. And, uh, you know, I don't know what season two is going to hold, but we know that Grogu, Baby Yoda, made his choice in terms of who he wants to be with. Uh, so he's come back to Din Djarin and uh, decided not to follow the path to be a Jedi. Uh, it doesn't mean that Grogu doesn't have power still, but he can't really hone them the way he probably would have with Skywalker. So it, it's kind of a different approach, you know, Uh Grogu didn't want to be lonely, he didn't want to live in solitude uh, and not be able to have friends and love. Like, he really has this bond with Din Djarin, so um, that's a cool thing to see. Like, you know, I'm sure that there are other ways that Grogu can kind of hone his skills as a, as a user of the Force. Um... And the other application, of course, was Skywalker saying, even if Grogu didn't stay, there were other students. So I don't know what that really means going forward. Uh, obviously, when they shoot Skywalker with Mark Hamill, they adjust his face with digital uh, CGI to make him look younger. But you can only get away with that, with that so far, I think. You know, So I don't know what's going to happen with his particular character going beyond this. Uh, I think a lot of it was just really for cameo type stuff and, you know, nostalgia. Uh, especially in the Mandalorian series, it was great when he showed up to come take Grogu away. Uh, if you saw that series at all. Boba Fett needs a little bit of work yet. Um, but it, it's still promising. I, I really like the actor who, who plays Boba. He was the same guy from the, the earlier uh, episode one and two. I think he was in two, wasn't he? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, but a little bit, a little bit of a struggle. It kind of just, you know, got off slow. But I thought that in some ways, WandaVision kind of got off slow too, and it picked up towards the end. So just a matter of what you're expecting. Um, the good thing about series in general is that they can kind of elaborate and explore more uh, with characters and get a little more depth compared to movies most of the time so 
we'll see how this goes, uh, you know, through the rest of it next season and whatnot. I'm excited for Mandalorian Season 3. And, of course, you know, Loki and WandaVision and all that good stuff. See how it goes forward. So in the next block of music, I've got some black metal coming your way in the form of Wotane, Nocturnal Mortem, and Pure Wrath. Then the second block, as we get ready to close it out, got some Foscore, a little bit more black metal, but we're starting to lighten up a little bit. As we go into a little bit more uh, progressive and heavy metal, so we got Star One and White Tower getting ready to close it out. So be back in a few. Here's some Pure Wrath, Footprints of the Lost Child.
Here's Patrick from the Canadian Press Metal Band, Reanimators, and you're listening to Metal Tavern Radio. I have the system, get out of my way!
you let me show you Even though a mere three days have passed This protein it typically takes six years to about
new stuff from Star One from their Revel in Time record released this year. That's called Prescient. And I am DJ Anubis, getting ready to close out this edition of the Hordes of Chaos. Hope you enjoyed all the music and the topics of discussion. At least with me. I'm the only one discussing it, but hey. As always, if you got a request, send it to us. Our brand new website, MiddletownRadio.com. Uh, you can go and check out past episodes of the Hordes of Chaos. I actually put up a Rock and a Hard Place Volume 1 yesterday. That particular show is, specializes in nothing but rock of all genres. Uh, modern rock, hair rock, uh, progressive rock, whatever. You know, it's all in a classic rock. So, if you're just in a mood to kick back with stuff that's not quite as heavy as the usual stuff that we play in Hordes of Chaos, then check that out. You might like it. Uh, thank you again for the support, y'all. Um, Becca and I are continuing to push Metal uh, Time Radio in hopes to, uh, like, the YouTube channel. We're hoping to get up to 1,000 subscribers. We're going to try to start selling merch of some sort soon. Nothing major, but maybe, like, coffee mugs or stickers or even, she's even considering doing uh, bottle caps, something she's really good at that we've done in the past with other things and maybe do something for Mail Tavern Radio. Uh, if you're interested in keychains and stuff like that. So we're hoping to get to that point, but at the same time, we're hoping to maybe start making a little money now for ourselves. Uh, obviously, I don't charge bands or anything like that to play their material, but as far as like offsetting the cost for getting the website up and you know the time and now now it's just a matter of time and effort put into doing this with the online radio station and stuff like that so as it were i think we're getting to a point where now we're like we're trying to like at least make some money from this uh just to handle some of the cost and stuff so but we're not quite there yet so you know we're not going to charge any kind of like fee to listen to anything it's just a matter of like random other stuff so all right, I'll got one last track from it's from like a heavy metal band called White Tower. Uh, very cool old school feel about it. This is called Leather Empress, and you all enjoy the rest of your week. <laughs>